Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez with you today and my guest, Greg Faxon. Greg, welcome to the show. And Did I pronounce your last name correctly? Yes, you did. Thanks for having me, Henry. Our pleasure. Let me give our audience a little background on you and then I'll have you add to it. Uh, Greg is the owner of Greg Faxon Enterprises. Uh, he's a speaker and a business coach for champion entrepreneurs. Greg was an All-American wrestler and a nationally ranked, and is, I think, a nationally ranked Spartan racer. We'll have him explain what a Spartan racer is, because I didn't know until I was preparing for this interview and had to look it up. Uh, He applies many of the principles that he learned from his success in athletics in his business coaching business. His passion is helping people develop a winning mindset so that they can build highly fulfilling and impactful businesses. And then I'm going to read this quote, which I think is kind of your life mission, at least at this point, which is, quote, by the end of my life, I want to have helped more people unleash their full potential than any other person in the world. Now, that's a big audacious, audacious goal, right? There it is. <laughs> uh, and from what I understand, you live on an 80-acre farm in West Virginia. So once again, welcome to the show. And let's chat a little bit about that and your background and what you're doing these days. Yeah, let's get into it. So Spartan Racer, tell us what that is. Sure. So Spartan's a one particular brand, uh, you know, in the obstacle racing kind of industry. And that's been a huge industry that's popped up recently. Many of your listeners have probably heard of Tough Mudder, Warrior Dash. Spartan Race is kind of one of those big three. And, you know, I like it because they really place a lot of emphasis on those elite racers. You get people coming from all different sports. And what it consists of essentially is it's basically a trail run with strength obstacles in the middle. So you might be carrying a sandbag up a ski slope, maybe crawling under barbed wire. So it's kind of an all-around test of endurance and strength at the same time. So something that people, regular people like me would never even come close to doing, in other words. You know, it's interesting because, you know, these companies, especially Spartan, a lot of their big percentage of their racers are actually people who, you know, couch to 5K type people who just want to, radically transform their lifestyle, give themselves a challenge, or just those people who want to team up with their friends on the weekend and do something crazy. So they actually cater to both markets in a way, but it's definitely attracts a very specific type of person. And those are my people, right? So you want to hang out with the type of people who believe what you believe. And that's, uh, that's been a, an important community for me. Yeah, no, definitely. I was, I was obviously being somewhat sarcastic there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can see where it attracts the weekend warrior type as well. Sure. I definitely would fall somewhat into that category. Well, very exciting. Very, very cool. And then you, you wrestled in high school and in college, correct? That's right. And uh, so this big goal that I read about uh, helping more people than anybody else unleash their full potential, did that, is that you think always been a thought or is that come, that clarity on that come when? Uh, man, I mean, that word potential is sometimes overused, but it's just always been uh, my obsession is just how do you get to that next level? How do you grow? And I can tell you probably have a similar obsession with this podcast. I think entrepreneurship is a fantastic channel to kind of realize our potential as human beings because it just brings out all those fears, those doubts, any area we need to grow. 
our business is a mirror for that. And so my channel for doing that is really working with entrepreneurs who help other people unleash their potential. And typically those are service-based entrepreneurs. They might be other coaches. They might be consultants, trainers. They might be designers. They're people who really care about other people and about helping them accomplish the things that they want to accomplish and being guides for that. And so my clients are really a, uh, a multiplier for the work that I do because they're helping people unleash their potentials in ways that just aren't in my area of expertise or aren't in my passions. And uh, what I love to talk about is mindset, like you mentioned, and marketing and sales. And uh, so, you know, it's always been in the back of my head, but it wasn't articulated until I had a business where I said, this could really be a lever for me. This could be an area that would make it easier for me to touch people in that way. That's great. We're very well put. All right. So I'd like to start to, at the beginning, which is you, as far as I tell from my research, started out, went to school, got a traditional job. You were in market research, working for a company. So tell me about that start in your life. Sure. Yeah. So graduated earlier from Wesleyan University in, in Connecticut, graduated a semester early and I had a job at a consulting firm. And I kind of thought I was, you know, a badass. I was graduating before my friends and I had, you know, the first few months I was flying to Brazil first class and I kind of lived that more of that corporate lifestyle. I was really fortunate to have that opportunity as a young guy. Um, and I was fortunate because I learned really quickly that it just wasn't for me. I think if you're an entrepreneur, uh, you usually have a sense because you just can't, uh, you just can't deal so much with the, with the traditional job and, and you want that autonomy. And for me, you know, there was a moment where it was about one month into the job had this fantastic opportunity, was sitting in my corner office, but I was moving a number from one Excel spreadsheet to the next, and I was totally brain dead. One of the uh, partners in my firm walked by my office. He's like, hey, Greg, how's it going? He's like, you know, I'm kind of, it's kind of mind knowing to do the quantitative work. And he's like, yeah, you can't go to the boardroom right away. Those words changed my life because I realized I was going to have to wait a long time to kind of make an impact um, on my terms in the way that was best suited for my gifts. And so I started waking up early hustling and, and building this business on the side, which is how any good entrepreneur that I know does it. Uh, and that was really my catalyst, you know, into, okay, I'm, if this isn't what I want to do, if I don't want to be where my boss is in 10 years, if that's not the lifestyle I want, what is it that I want to do in starting that phase of experimentation? So when you first started at this consulting company, was your goal and aspiration to become partner? Is that what you were thinking? You know, I don't think it ever was. I think that I knew that it was a platform uh, for what I ultimately wanted to do. You know, I think that there was a block for me of, okay, I want to start a business, but I, I felt like I needed an idea when I was leaving college and I was getting stuck on this concept of, well, if I don't know what the idea is, I can't really start, which, you know, we can talk about it, but later you realize that most of the magic really isn't in ideas and that's what stops most aspiring entrepreneurs. Um, but you know, when I got into the job, it was, you know, and with all respect to the employer, it was just painful enough to say it's time to get my ass in gear. And that wasn't because of the job itself. In fact, the job was so good for what it was. I knew that I was never going to find a better situation working for someone else. So it was a really clear indicator. It was like, you don't need a new job. You just need to go build this business around, uh, what, what you get really pumped up about. And so it was a great gift for me. And so Short answer is no. I, you know, I think that I always knew that it was going to be a platform to something else. And you were there how long? Was there eight months total? All right, so not not very long for it to no. really sink in. No, man. I mean, once I make, you know, I'm the type of person. Once I get one percent uh, dissatisfied with something, and I can tell 
you know, this isn't going the place I want to go. I mean, I, I'm getting after it. And so for me, I, one month in, I realized it and, you know, it was just like, all right, what's the quickest way to uh, build this business? So let me ask you about that in specific, because that obviously can be a sure. tremendous character trait, but it can also be detrimental in that you jump from thing to thing. How do you keep that in check? Good question. So yeah, important distinction is that the gut level knowing that something isn't going the direction you want to go is very different from the excitement you feel when you see the next shiny object. And that's not what this was. This was a, you know, I don't want to, I see where this ladder leads, very deliberate decision. I see where the, the top of this ladder goes. If I want to go there, then I should keep on the path I'm, I'm on. If I don't, then I should go do something else. And that's an important question for you listening is, uh, is the top of your industry or the top of your business, uh, is that where you want to be? Because if not, that's the trajectory you're on. So adjust your trajectory. Now, what you pointed out was a great, uh, a great thing to point out, which is that a lot of entrepreneurs jump from thing to thing because they get really excited and they don't give anything enough time and effort to get the traction it takes to move on. And I think this wasn't one of those. And for me, the way I tell is I just ask myself the question, is this something I've been intentional about because I'm seeing a future outcome that I don't want? Or is this something that I'm actually doing to avoid the hard work of the current situation? Because everything we're in is going to have a dip, right? Seth Godin talks about any meaningful project or, or task that you do is going to have the hard part. It's going to be the part where most people drop out, which is what makes the top 10% really valuable because they got through the dip. So very different to quit in the middle of a dip versus at the beginning of something to say, you know what, it's not worth it to me to suffer for this. I know a dip is going to come and I'd rather confront that dip in something else. Yeah, that's a great clarification and differentiation of the two. So uh, I gather then that even in college, what you saw for yourself wasn't necessarily working for someone else, but you felt that that experience might be good and getting you ready. And again, as you said, waiting for that idea to come your way. Is that fair assessment? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, I think most aspiring entrepreneurs start off pretty passively. So they're, they're either waiting for their passion to come to them or they're waiting for the, the business idea to come to them. And quickly what you realize is you got to go cultivate that. You got to go cultivate the value that you're providing to people or cultivate that passion by getting really good at something. And, you know, I just, I kind of just saw it as a platform, you know, I was like, this is a way where I can go. It was a very flexible job. And if I need to build something on the side, I'll go do that. But let's go make something happen. And let's go create that financial runway that's going to be helpful down the road. Yeah. Did you have pressure, peer pressure, parent pressure to go that corporate route? I think so. But it wasn't it wasn't overt. In other words, it wasn't my, my parents actually are both small business owners. So they got it even. But even still, I think there's a parental kind of conflict of I want my kid to be safe. So there's this entrepreneurial thing, which is inherently risky, even if we've done it. Uh, there's a little bit of a, an urge to let's go get a base, go get experience first. So that's where maybe that urge came from to get the job. And then I think that it's just, you know, I went to a competitive elite school and most of the people graduating are going to do consulting or law or medical school. So the vast majority of people are going to do that. And so I think that that was just, that was the path most traveled. So it would have taken an extra bump, which I eventually got once I was in the job to take the path least traveled. Similar to the position I'm in now in sending my daughter off to college, and she's grown up around me being a business owner, but I'm conflicted, right? I want her to have that, certainly that base knowledge and the learning experience of going to a university and then perhaps getting the experience for her. So it's, 
it's a tough thing. You growing up around business owners, what was your impression of those businesses? Did you look at it as, oh, I want to do that, or I never want to touch what they do? What was the impression you got? Um, so yeah, I mean, my mom and dad both are service-based business owners. And so my dad is a lawyer and my mom is a, a healthcare consultant. And what I saw most was their ability through those things to have kind of maximum flexibility and provide a great lifestyle for us and be there when they needed to be there. And they, they weren't entrepreneurs at the level where they were building massive businesses where then they actually got less freedom because they were caught in the management of it. They kept themselves very lean and were very intentional about it. And so I think I didn't have a moment where I saw that and said, I want to create that for myself. I think it was just fortunate that, I, that that was modeled for me. And so if you don't have that model, obviously, I mean, we can't really make excuses because we know plenty of people who didn't have that model who still made it happen. But I don't take for granted that I had that reference frame growing up because those are so powerful. Anything that we already can see, oh, this has been done, it's possible. That's hugely powerful when you go and want to want to achieve it yourself. Yeah, that's a great point. And that that flexibility of lifestyle was was modeled for you. Not like you're doing now or you're living somewhere you really want to live and can still run a business and make a living and let yourself have that freedom of location. So that, that obviously was big to you. Yeah, absolutely. So it was the immediate business uh, a business coaching business? Is that what you immediately launched? It w wasn't around business coaching. I was much more of kind of a generalist coach. I mean, I never used the word life coach, but it was more personal coaching. It's helping people with productivity. It's helping people with kind of fi figuring out what is that fulfilling career they want to get into because that's really what I had just gone through at the moment. Um, so there's a way where sometimes you kind of teach backwards or you coach backwards. And, and that's kind of what I've done. And so at every new stage of my business, I'm seeing how can I pull people up behind me and use some of that experience I've had uh, to help people move forward. So, yeah, it was, you know, it was much more broadly personal development, which is what I had always, you know, geeked out on and been really interested in was how do we uh, grow as people and how do we become more capable and more productive and, and more able to contribute to the world around us. And at that point in time, you're, you're still a young man. Yeah. You overcome that yeah. challenge of the perception, at least a coach is someone much older than, than myself. Let's say, how did you overcome that? Uh, yeah, I just didn't acknowledge it as a factor to me the the, what mattered was results. And so, I mean, here's the deal. Like the stronger frame absorbs the weaker frame in any interaction. What I mean by that is if, if I believe it's, a, it's not important that I'm young, and I truly believe that in my bones, then I, that's the stronger frame. So if someone says, well, how can you really do that? You're so much younger. It, it really doesn't matter because I, I have a different reality that I'm living in. And I think that's really what got me through is, look, man, I've been training my whole life for this stuff, like, you know, through athletics, through sports, through everything. Um, my perception was I had done more in my 22 years of life than most people do in their entire life. And so that can sound cocky right but to me that's what it takes to become a champion if you look i've been watching the olympics usain bolt a lot of people think he's cocky right just because of the way he interacts the reason he's he's like that is because he's put in more work than anyone else in the world so when he shows up on competition day it's already a foregone conclusion that he's going to win and so i think that it's a there's a lot of actually young people getting into coaching now and it's you know it's kind of a hot thing and so I've often talked to people who are like, well, how do I, how do I battle those perceptions? 
And I'm like, you don't value the perceptions. You're not trying to convince anyone of anything. You're just continuing on with what you, you know to be powerful and you know to be true. And once I got great results for people, I let those kind of case studies speak for themselves. So that's the way that I dealt with it. I think anyone has to deal with it their own way. But for me, confidence just comes from, confidence is earned. Confidence comes from doing more work than, uh, than you know anyone around you has done. Yeah, I think it is about confidence. And, and that confidence obviously came from your successes and learning that discipline, being an athlete. Was it, was it also always kind of a personality trait for you? Yeah, I think that fearlessness, you know, just I'm fortunate. Another thing that I just think I inherited from my parents. I mean, a lot of it was work I did on myself through training, you know, and personal development and athletics. But I think that, you know, as a parent, you can cultivate a fearlessness in your kid by allowing them to step out on the edge and jump off and not interceding and, uh, and reinforcing that growth mindset. And so I was fortunate enough to have that as a kid. So that's something I've kind of taken with me through everything that I've done, whether it's athletics or, you know, then the business that I started. So the other thing that's interesting to me is that not everybody can take what they've learned in a successful athletic career, the discipline, the, the confidence, and translate that into a business like coaching when did, when did that go off for you, that light bulb go off that I can translate that and turn it into coaching? Because it's not, I don't think it's that straightforward. Right. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is it took me a while, you know, I mean, that was a, it's a relatively recent rebrand. You know, I just had a book come out and, um, or it's coming out in a couple of weeks, you know, it's funny in my mind, it's already come out because it's written, but we still got more work to do. Um, so it, it's interesting because that's a recent thing where I said, you know, that's a big part of my, my identity and my history. And I'm, I'm leaving that on the table if I don't integrate that into the work I'm doing with people because that's the original coaching. You know, that's the original. And a lot of coaches now are a little bit softer. I came from an athletic background where like, you know, if you don't put in the work, you're gone. Like you're, <laughs> you're getting cut out. And so um, I kind of bring that to the coaching now. And I think I was scared to do that at the beginning because whenever you get into a new domain, I think you try to assess what already works and you kind of end up emulating other people. And once you start to achieve, you know, be on the road to mastery, you start to bring in those things that made you successful in the past. So for anyone listening, you probably have an area, especially if you're a new entrepreneur, you probably have an area where you previously, you got it. You know, you figured out how to be successful. You developed the mindsets you needed and the skills you needed. Could be you're a chess champion. You know, it could be you're the best basket weaver of all time, right? But most high performers become entrepreneurs and they forget about, mapping over that old domain. And so one of the things I love to do is work with people who have been champions in other things before business. And then it's just a matter of how do we apply this? How do we connect that to the work you're doing now? Because you already have the raw skills. It's just in a new domain now. Great insight. So Greg, you're obviously a, a guy that gives this a lot of thought. Obviously, it's your business, so you have to have. But uh, I'm, I'm curious now as to how you go about the thinking? Do you set aside X amount of time every day? Uh, how do you go about giving this the thought that is obviously behind your, the way you express what you do and what you do? So when you say thinking, do you mean? So the research, the reading, the learning, um, how do you go about that now on a regular basis to get better and better at what you do? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer that question in a roundabout way, which is that really important in business to know, are you being more of a consumer or more of a creator? 
because it's there's so much to consume, you know, and and I'm really grateful for things like podcasts because they really helped me out when I started my journey and that stuff is multiplying. So it's really easy to stay in consumer mode and not actually create the value or create your own content, for example. And that's actually where most of the learning happens for me. It's not in consumption. It's in creating. It's in the coaching. That's what helps me reinforce. I'm sure for you, you're both creating and consuming at the same time as you're doing these interviews. And, you know, creators get paid. Consumers pay the creators. So if you really want to get paid, you need to become a creator. Part of that is obviously taking in new ideas. So I'm reading books all the time. You know, I'm all getting coached all the time. I mean, that's my number one form as a coach myself is I'm always getting new training and coaching and investing and growing myself in that way. But I've always found that I, I learn better as a creator and that also allows my business to be more successful. So while I do consume things, I keep it at a level and at the right balance where I can also apply that stuff. So I'm not reading 10 books at a time. I'm reading one book at a time, right? I'm not in 10 courses at a time. I'm in one course at a time with exactly what I need to know on demand. I'm not prepping for skills I'm going to need 10 years from now where I'm going to need to review that anyway. And so I think that's important is just consume what you need right now. And if that's not this podcast, return the podcast off, go do the thing that you need to do that you already know, right? And then when you need to fill that well up again with new ideas, with some inspiration, by all means, go get that, right? But but watch out for that balance between creator and consumer. Yeah, I love that. I, I think, and I, I agree completely that it's when we are creating that we're learning the most. And, and an example of that, and again, obviously we're all consuming a lot. I read a lot. But one of the evidence of that is how little we actually retain of all of that. But when we create something, we retain right. a whole lot of it, don't we? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You want to feel it in your bones. You want to have it be a visceral experience, like not reading about doing a double leg takedown and wrestling, but actually getting on the mat and having the experience of failing at it 20 times. And then, okay, if I tilt my head this one way, that's what makes the difference. And now you know how to do it. So let me read another quote from uh, some of your content online, a quote. I make entrepreneurs into champions. I'll show you how to get out of your own way and grow your business fast so that you can have the impact and the freedom you've been working so hard for. And then you later talk about creating champion entrepreneurs. What do you define as a champion entrepreneur? Champion entrepreneur to me is someone who takes 100% responsibility for their own success and someone who also is committed to being a high achiever in every area of their life. You know, we all know people who have one domain, maybe it's work, maybe it's relationships where they really are crushing it. But then you look at the other parts of their life and you can see that they're really suffering. So to me, I'm looking for all around performers, people who want total work life integration and uh, and people who don't don't make excuses and want to be the best in the world. You know, it's a very among entrepreneurs. It's much more common to have people who want to be the best in the world at what they do. But for most of society, like you got to get, if you're one of these champions, you're listening and this is resonating, you got to get, you're in a very small minority. Most people are totally okay with just being average and mediocre. And for me, that's just not what I'm about. I like to hang out with champions. I like to work with champions. I like to do the work myself to become one. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just straight up. Like I want to be the best in the world at what I do. And every single second that I'm on an interview like this, it's like, how can I make this interview with the how of business the best interview i've ever done so that's what i that's the mindset of a champion to me and and you've worked now with a number of clients what, what do you see can you give me one or two common obstacles that you see that yeah from i'll give you one yeah. 
and fear. Okay. Biggest obstacle to entrepreneurship. It's not knowledge. It's not any of that. It's not circumstance. It's fear. Um, and here's why fear is your greatest oppo- opponent is because if you know the stuff, I mean, you all have stuff listening right now that you know if you did that, you could either start your business more successfully or you could grow it more successfully. Um, but we just don't do it, right? Why is that? Well, it could be a fear of failure. It could be a fear of judgment. Even sometimes for some people, a fear of success that if they actually achieve this, it would get out of control in some way or they would be seen differently by other people or they just couldn't handle it or they don't deserve it, right? So there's lots of different fears. It's really dependent on the person and that's where the individual kind of coaching comes in where you got to dive in and deal with what are the beliefs that are coming up. But for me, fear is paralyzing, uh, you know, the most paralyzing force for entrepreneurs. And the biggest part of fear, the way that fear works, it's magic. You guys are going to be able to relate to this is something I call creative avoidance. Some people are procrastinators, right? Some people are just kind of lazy. They just, they know what they need to do, but they, they do something else to distract themselves. For high achievers, that's rarely the issue. High achievers are busy all day. Like every minute of the day, they're trying to do something. So procrastination isn't really the issue. If procrastination is your issue and you're listening to this, just download this app, self-control, one word for Mac, and just block your internet access and just bang out what you need to bang out, right? Procrastination is easy to deal with. Creative avoidance is the subconscious activity of working on the periphery of your business, working on your logo, your website, Instagram, just the little things that aren't really high leverage but feel safe because you know that you're not going to get instant feedback. You're not going to be judged for it. The things right in the center of your business, hopping on a sales call, right? Up-leveling what you do in some way that feels scary to you. Those are the things that actually improve the bottom line of your business. And so creative avoidance, biggest issue for most entrepreneurs, because sometimes we can't even see it, right? We don't, unlike procrastination, we don't sometimes know what we're creatively avoiding. For example, for a long time, I wanted to do more speaking. This is still one of my areas of creative avoidance. And instead of doing that, I'll kind of focus on getting clients and serving my existing clients because that's what I've gotten really good at instead of learning the ropes of, okay, how do you really build that speaking career out? And so sometimes I'm just so deep in the other stuff that I wouldn't even know that I was avoiding this other area because I kept myself busy. And so for my biggest advice for entrepreneurs is busyness is not something to be proud of. If you feel like you have too much on your plate, you probably do. And the best way to combat that fear that keeps you occupied with low leverage tasks is by creating space, by creating space in your day. That can be through a morning ritual, it can be through meditation, it can be through going on a walk. But the way that fear works, it's magic, is it gives you no time to think about what you actually should be doing. And so you answer emails and you go on Facebook and you do all this stuff. If you would pause for one minute after this podcast ended and just ask yourself, what is the thing that if this all I got done today, I would be really proud of that? And just wait and don't let yourself do anything until you answer it. I promise you'll come up with one thing that's better than 10 things altogether that you could have done. So give me, as, as you shared, speaking, public speaking, speaking engagements, either doing more of that or getting better at it. And you talk about creating space. But give me a couple of examples of how you apply all of that to doing to avoiding that creative avoidance as it relates to speaking engagements. Sure, yeah. So it's it's just a matter of saying, okay, is this is that really a priority for me? Do I want to be doing more speaking in 2016? And if so, what are the things that I'm going to have to commit to? Where, you know, where's the dip? Again, what's the hard part? I'm willing to get through that. And if so, what are the actual things I have to do? And then making sure that it stays on my, uh, 
you know, it stays on my schedule in, ter- in terms of blocking that actual time out with the specific actions that'll move that forward. And for me, I got to say, like, you know, coaching is an area where that really helps me is someone who can see kind of the, the blind spots I have, someone who can see, okay, you say you want this, but I notice you're spending your time on this other stuff. Is that something you really want? And if so, what is it going to take to make that happen? So someone to kind of call me out, you know, and that's a big thing that I do for my entrepreneurs is say, you know, you talked about this in your vision when we first started, but I noticed you seem to be more focused on this. Is that just the direction we're going or do we need to reprioritize this other area that seems to be a little bit scarier for you? All right. So what I'm hearing is you, you have a coach that keeps you accountable on this uh, objective and goal that you have. And then I think I also hear that you break it down into its parts and block out the time to achieve those sub goals to get there. Am I getting that right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And it just all starts with space. Like, it, you know, I talk about living deliberately and it's all about just creating enough space to be intentional, whether that's a weekly review, you know, a daily review saying what's the most important thing I could do tomorrow. Uh, most people don't leave themselves enough space to even realize what the most important thing is and realize what their priorities are and they stay stuck. So that's my biggest advice to entrepreneurs is just to create space. And this creative avoidance topic is a big one. This is obviously what keeps, I think, all of us from achieving our full potential. We have to become more and more aware of it. And it's, I think to what you touched on, what we talked about earlier, when we're creating and when we create something, that's when we're now subject to failure, ridicule, rejection, all of those things. Absolutely. And that, that makes it very personal. That makes it very sensitive. And so we resort to our habits, our poor habits to avoid getting it done. And we justify it, right? I can justify why I need to reply to <laughs> right. emails and I, and I have to go do this. And, and the next thing you know, it's the end of the day. Now I'm tired. Now it's dinner time. I never got to that one task that I needed to complete to move me forward related to that thing I need to create. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm, I mean, I'll give you, you know, a perfect example of this is I have one client and, and she's a photographer and she's unbelievable at what she does. One of the things that has been a pattern for her, you know, over the years is that she, she prioritizes client work over her, her, you know, taking care of her business as the CEO. And it's really important to be, be of service to your clients if you're in that type of industry, of course, right? That's necessary. But there's a way where if you get too deep, you know, into your business, you never get to work on the actual business, whether that's spending time with your coach or creating like, okay, what is actually the flow, the experience I want my clients to have? Let's map that all out or raising your prices or whatever it is. And, um, you know, I told her today, I'm like, the big distinction is, is the thing you're doing now linear or is it going to be exponential, right? Just editing photos for one client is linear. Obviously, you got to get that done because, and you do it at a high level because that's what is part of the agreement in exchange for money. But if you do that past the point of diminishing returns and you push out everything that's exponential, right? If you reschedule the call with your coach because it just doesn't feel as urgent, that call that you have where you figure out what your real target market is, right? Or that, you know, just vacation that you take for a week where it totally reinvigorates you and helps you get 10 more clients. That stuff's exponential and it's going to allow you to serve people way better in the long term than just focusing on the linear stuff where, okay, I can do it and get a result, but it's really not going to grow my business, you know, by 10 times. 
So that question of whether it's exponential or linear, is that, I'm assuming, then one of the ways you determine what you work on today, what's most important? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and don't, you know, another way that some people phrase it is, is it urgent or important? Typically, the important stuff tends to be exponential. The urgent stuff tends to be linear, right? Like, if you reply to that email, all that happens is that one person got an email response. But recording this podcast, you don't have to do this. And no one told you you had to do the podcast. Hopefully, that would be weird if they were like, you have to do the podcast. But um, that's, that's exponential. You don't have to do it, but this is going to live on for a long time. And, you know, maybe after you die and then people will begin value for it, you know, from it forever. So that's an exponential task. And if you do it the right way, it's going to exponentially grow your business. That's great. So Greg, I want to understand a little bit more about how you operate your business. If I understand correctly, obviously you're in a service, you're delivering coaching and consulting. So you're the one delivering that primarily, but tell me about your structure. Do you leverage virtual assistants? Do you have people on staff? What does the business look like so that you can scale and so that you're not always having to be trading time for, for money? Sure. Yeah. So I keep it pretty lean. You know, I have a few select contractors, a designer, I have a VA that works for me about five hours a month. I mean, nothing, you know, from it's nothing crazy for me. I always try to eliminate before I delegate. So it's like, you know, I'm not going to have my, I'm not going to start a Facebook group and then have my VA be the one who engages in the Facebook group. Like why just don't have a Facebook group, right? Like I was telling someone that the other day. It's like if you, you know, Seth Godin said this on an interview too. Like if I'm going to have my VA answer my emails, I should just not do email, right? So it's kind of like a controversial thing. But see if you can eliminate before you delegate. Do you really need to do that thing if it's not the thing that you love and are good at? You know, if you do, then it's okay to 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 delegate in some cases. But that that's really the extent of the team. Is I've, I have some I have a book launch manager, I have a designer, someone who helped edit the book, I have a VA. Um, all the coaching work, I have no interest in scaling my private practice. I think scaling is interesting and helpful in some ways. But um, if someone works with me one on one, they're getting me via text, via calls, like whenever they need me. So I'm totally in that person's corner. I do also have group programs. So right now I have a program called Fill Your Client Roster and it's for coaches and consultants and and service-based entrepreneurs who want to fill your client roster, right? And that is more leveraged, right? So there's one training call a week, there's one coaching call a week. And it's just because I figured out through my one-on-one work, okay, here's a system that if someone follows, they're going to really get great results from. So it allows people to come in at less of an investment, but get just as much or more value. So group coaching is obviously a way to leverage if you have this type of business. Um, but that's pretty much it, man. And then, you know, I have the book coming out. So that's obviously a way where I'm, I'm not trading time for money. Um, I think there is, you know, I will just say you're always trading time for money. You know, I mean, you're, you're always trading time for money. You can do something up front that gets recurring revenue, which is fine. Like you can argue that that's better in some ways, but I don't want people, I know there's kind of an obsession with passive income right now. And I just want people to get who are listening to this, especially if you're trying to figure out the structure of your business, it's okay to have a client-based business if that's what you love. If you're willing to be so valuable that you can charge high fees and really get results for your clients, like do that. Don't feel like you have to create a passive course if that's not how you want to make an impact. In fact, a lot of that stuff in my industry, in the coaching industry, um, doesn't get results for people. Like totally passive stuff that doesn't have any human connection where someone says, hey, I see you. Uh, their completion rates are terrible. And so I have no interest in creating that type of thing because I'm about helping people actually fulfill their potential, right? It goes, it goes back to the mission. And the question is, is this what's going to help people unleash their potential? And so I focus on things where I can guarantee, hey, 
this is going to work for you if you put in the work. Yeah, that's a great point. I think it, what it speaks to is this is what you are going to do to fulfill your why, what you want out of it. Everybody has a different definition of what they're looking to get out of it. What you have is a very clearly defined why, and you look at everything in that perspective. Yeah. What's the name of the book? Don't let the fear win. Right. By the time this episode airs, so for our listeners, by the time this airs, the book will be out because you said it's a couple weeks from now or so? Yep, it comes out September 8th. And uh, hey, if you guys just want a teaser of it, you're welcome to go to gregfaxon.com slash download. So F-A-X-O-N is the last name, gregfaxon.com slash download. And that way you can just kind of get a little preview of it. And obviously, if you like to download Kindle, those, those kind of come with a preview anyway. But uh, I, I want to make sure you, you like what you're buying, you know what you're getting. So I, I encourage people to go check out that link first if they feel a little hesitant about picking up the book. Excellent. Thanks for that. And we'll have a link to that on the show notes page at thehowofbusiness.com. So all folks can, our listeners can find that there. Great. All right. Um, let's talk about, you speak about a couple of concepts, deliberate practice and how you have applied that to living deliberately. Can you explain that, what you mean by deliberate practice and living deliberately? Yeah. So a lot of research has been done about what makes the people who are top performers, world-class performers, what makes them so good? And one of the big trends that we found is that they don't just put in the 10,000 hours, right? They practice deliberately. In other words, when something don't work, doesn't work, they go ahead and adjust. And so often in, entrepreneur, there's, in entrepreneurialism, excuse me, there's a ethos of perseverance. So people sometimes just end up banging their head against the wall with stuff that doesn't work instead of reassessing and figure out what do I need to do differently. And so the concept of deliberate practice is put in the time, but make sure you're doing it intentionally. Make sure you're trying different approaches and sticking with the ones that work. And so the idea of living deliberately is just applying that to the type of life you want. And any good business owner is building something around them that fits in with the lifestyle they want. Otherwise, you're building yourself a second cage, right? Maybe you leave a job, but now you're stuck in this business and you get no sympathy because everyone sees you and your business might even be successful, but it's, you know, it's sucking your soul. And so just the idea of being deliberate both in the work that you do as a professional, but also in the business you build and in the life that you build, uh, I think is everything. It's super important because our choices determine our destiny. Our choices determine who we are and, and what we get to have and who we get to help. That's great. I love that. Don't build yourself a second cage. And you mentioned uh, Seth Godin, so you've probably read, uh, read the E-Myth, and he talks about that, that we have to be careful that we don't build a business that's just a lower paying job than what we left, right? Um, so that's that's critical. Thanks for sharing that. So I want to start wrapping it up, but I want to talk, uh, summarize for me, if you would, what you think have been some of the keys to your success in life and in business. We've chatted, obviously, about a lot of those. You're approach to looking at whether something is exponential or linear, your mindset. We've chatted about those things. But if you could summarize it, what do you think at this point has been some of the keys to your business success? So I'll give your listeners two. One is going to be a very concrete action, actual physical thing to install in your day. And the other is going to be more of a mantra, kind of a mindset to keep in mind as you go about achieving your goals. So the first one is a morning ritual. And most people have heard about the power of having a very specific routine to start your day and the, and the power that that has. But most people also haven't actually applied that and made it stick for themselves. So the, one of the biggest things I have that bolsters my business and also my work with clients, this helps me perform better for people, 
is my morning ritual, you know? And for everyone, there's three things that really make a great morning ritual that you can spend the first one to two hours of your day doing that will give you, again, exponential results throughout your workday. The first piece is your physical body. So if there's anything you can do to just get your body alive and awake, it can be a walk, it can be a bodyweight workout, it can be a full-fledged training session, something to get your body into gear. Okay, the second thing is something for your mind. So that can be reading, it can be listening to a podcast, it can be writing, something to engage your intellectual self. And then the third is your emotional or spiritual self. So if you consider yourself spiritual, that could be praying. If you consider it more just kind of an emotional side, you could do meditation, you could have some sort of art or journaling that you do, but you've got to tap into all three selves in order to make sure you have a great day. Also, those are usually the things that are important, but not always urgent. In other words, if the first thing you do is check your email, then you're now in someone else's agenda. You haven't made the foundation strong first. So I always say, get the things done that are things that you know might be pushed aside if you leave them to later, whether that's exercise, meditation, reading business books, whatever it is. So that's number one. If you get this right, if you get the morning ritual right, you'll grow your business faster, you'll make a lot more money, and you'll help a lot of people and it'll feel more fun. If you, if you don't figure out how to manage yourself in this way and get a morning ritual together, most entrepreneurs who don't have something like this end up burning out and of not having a lot of fun. They don't grow their businesses fast. And they just don't make the income or the impact that they really deserve to have because they're not solid when they show up to do their work. Okay, so that's number one is the morning ritual. Second thing is more of a mantra. And I use it with my clients. It's high intention, low attachment. Okay, so high intention, low attachment. What this means is that as a high achiever, if you're listening to this, you're probably one of us, all right? We want to really, we have that desire. We have that hunger. And I think that's fantastic. And you got to keep focused on your goals. You got to have that hunger. The problem is sometimes where we get slipped up is that we're attached to those goals. We want it, we kind of need it to a point that we're grasping at it. And we say, okay, if I don't fill my client roster, or if I don't grow my business at a certain level, I'm fundamentally, I'm not okay. And, and they get into that 500K, that seven figure mark, will somehow make me fundamentally different. Well, no, right? I mean, if you get to the six or seven figures that you've been wishing for and you're still the same you, it's still like the shitty you in the six figures now, right? So it's the same person and you're gonna feel the same. You just get to spend more money on stuff. So ultimately, our circumstances are gonna change our well-being or our happiness up to a certain point, right? We reach a point of diminishing returns. Once you recognize that, you can start to lower your attachment. Because if you've ever been on a date with someone with high intention, high attachment, you know they come off as needy and desperate. It feels like they kind of want to get something. That's not the mentality we want in our business. So my encouragement to you listening would be if you feel you have an attachment around something, you feel like you really need to fill a group program or you're not going to be okay, right? I'd encourage you, see if you can let go of that attachment. And the best way to do that is being grateful for this moment exactly as you had it. And so it's this very fine balance. We don't want to be complacent. We still want to strive for things and have that hunger, but it's having that hunger while being okay if you if nothing changed, if you were exactly where you are because results are really not within your control. And ironically, that's often how you achieve the thing that you wanted to achieve. So high intention, low attachment, figure out where am I clutching, where am I gripping, and how am I able to let that go a little bit in order to let it naturally unfold for me. But where I'm struggling with that, Greg, is just what you touched on there. How do you how do you make that so that it's not that I don't have the drive, the energy, it's not important enough? I mean, I can't be 
there's a balance there that you're striking to make sure it's still highly important to me and that I'm motivated. So give me a little bit more clarity on what it is that sure. I'm letting go. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you clarified because I'm sure there are people who are confused if you had the same question. So um, there's a difference to me between desire, between wanting something, and between attachment, needing it in order to feel okay. So like this is something I get into in the book, right? So this could almost be a whole other interview. But really quickly, um, if you're whole now, you're still able to feel desire. I struggled with this for a long time because people would say, like, just kind of let go this Buddhist mentality of like desire is bad. Just be whole as you are. And I was like, well, isn't that going to kill my fire, right? Isn't that going to make it so that I don't need the thing so I don't keep working for it? And I found that the opposite happened, right? You can say, you can go into... Um, a sales call, for example, and say, my intention right now is, hi, I want to serve this person in whatever they need. And if that's investing in my services, I'm going to propose that and go all in. I have a high desire to, to serve this person and potentially get them as a client. Um, if you are attached to that outcome, you will be a certain way in the call. The person will pick up on the fact that you kind of, you need it. It's not just that you want it, but you need it. And so if you are, if you let go of the attachment and say, I really want this and I'm okay, whatever the outcome of this call is, and you can really be grateful for the clients you already have, then you go in much more flexible. So if they create an objection, instead of chasing after them more and pushing them away further, you can pull back right? And you can say, you know what, maybe this isn't for you. I'm actually only looking for people who are a hell yes on this and who are really ready. And that's who I want in the group. And ironically, sometimes that makes people step forward, right? Because they sense that you're good, like you're confident, you're strong where you're at. So does that clarify it a bit on the difference between intention and attachment? It definitely does. I think it, and right. also what results there is that's when you go into it with that desperation, that's where you discount, that's why you give away your value. And so if I understand it right, you go into it with preparation, with confidence, with all of the energy and work that you've put into it. But if it doesn't happen, whatever it might be, it does not mean that you are worthless or that you don't go on to the next one. It means you you put in the work, just this wasn't the right connection. But you don't go yeah. into it desperately needing this to validate who you are or what you do. Totally. And it all comes back to fear. So I learned this when I was an athlete. Like if I wanted to win or I was even wrestling to not lose, which is the worst way to be wrestling. That was driven by a fear, ultimately, of, of feeling like I would be perceived in a certain way if I lost, or I would lose respect, or I wouldn't be seen as, as worthwhile, you know, to hang out with. And we have these deep-seated fears from kind of the kid part of us, and it would tighten me up as a wrestler. But when I came in and said, hey, I'm a badass, I'm going to work hard, I have a high intention, and... Um, I'm just doing this out of love. So I'm just going to work my hardest and whatever happens kind of happens. This isn't the rest of my life. It's just this wrestling match. That was a very powerful place to be. Yeah. This isn't a verdict on who I am. It just happens to be whatever happens on this particular. Absolutely. Going back to the morning ritual, after you complete your morning ritual, do you then believe in tackling the hardest or most important task on your to do? Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, that's the next thing I do right after is is what's the most important thing and, and 60 to 90 minutes of focused attention on that. All right. So Greg Faxon Enterprises, give us a summary of what you offer. Sure. So I offer individual coaching for entrepreneurs, typically service-based entrepreneurs who want to grow their business. 
Um, and then I also offer group programs for people who want to fill up their client one-on-one roster, you know, and want to charge higher prices, make more money and have more fun with what they're doing. You can also pick up my book, Don't Let the Fear Win, if, you, if you're wanting to learn a little bit more about these distinctions we're making with mindset and really take your business to the next level, and, and that might be a good place to start. So, and again, that's gregfaxon.com slash download, and you can just get the entire first section of that book and, and dive in a little more to, to what my philosophy is. Fantastic. And then book recommendation besides yours, and we mentioned Seth Godin. Is there another book that you've read that you would recommend to our listeners? Yeah, you know, I really like Zag by Marty Newmeyer. Uh, if you're into uh, kind of the branding stuff and you're figuring out how can I be perceived as the only per- type of person in my industry who does it this way and really be remarkable um, and you're looking to really take your marketing to the next level, I think that's a fantastic book. And he has something called the onlyness statement. So even if you just went in and looked at that specific part, uh, I think it'll really serve you well because we're getting into a world where most industries are becoming highly saturated. And if you don't know how to stand out, especially like in coaching, for example, you know, if you don't know how to stand out, it's not going to, it's not going to happen for you. So if you're in, doing the marketing game right now, and that's really a focus in your business, I'd recommend Zag. Wonderful. Thanks for that recommendation. We'll have that as well as your book and the link to the free download on the show notes page for this episode. You can find that at the howabusiness.com. When you get there, you can just search for Greg Faxon and that'll come up. All right, a couple more questions and we'll wrap it up, Greg. Any last uh, parting piece of advice to our audience, uh, considering that they're either looking to make that transition into being a business owner or have a small business that they're trying to grow? Okay, so for the first group of aspiring entrepreneurs, you know, my, my biggest piece of advice would be focus on earning, not on saving. So we get so obsessed with the idea of a runway that we forget to actually create revenue in the business. The best thing you could do for your security is getting sales, is creating revenue in the business. Because if you think about it, if you save up a six-month runway, that's fine, but you haven't proven to yourself that you can generate revenue. If you create that six-month runway by earning your way there instead of taking 10 years to save your way there, not only do you have that cushion built up now, but you also have the belief that you can create more of it. So focus on making sales, not on doing the other stuff like tweeting your website and playing business, actually do business. Um, and for the, uh, for the existing entrepreneur, I would say put a lot more focus on your inner game, okay? The game that's being played inside of your mind because that's what most entrepreneurs struggle with. But we spend actually like 90% of our time on the outer game, on the tactics, the strategies, and the hacks. Those will take you to a certain point But if you really want to get to the elite level, you're going to hear the same thing again and again from the top entrepreneurs, which is it's all about your mindset. It's all about the inner game. So figure out, okay, how, where am I scared? Where am I holding back? And what would I do if I couldn't fail? Because that's where the magic is going to be for you. Great advice. So where can our listeners find out more about you and Greg Faxon Enterprises? Uh, gregfaxon.com is the hub and you know sometimes i also ask the people go just find me on facebook personal profile just search for greg faxon and that's where i post a lot of my best stuff too so whether you you know if you consume stuff via email go ahead and sign up on the site if you like just doing on social media then go ahead from on facebook shoot me a message and i always love to hear what people are being challenged by and what they're working on these days so let me know Greg, uh, great stuff, great insights. Thank you so much for spending this time with us and sharing all this knowledge. Yeah, I appreciate you, Henry. 
Folks, thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.